0: You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Body IOFM FM with your host, Kiefer, and co host, Dr. Rocky. Hello, Kiefer. And finally, we're getting that work down, so he's on cue. I think this is the first episode you've been on cue. That's all the caffeine from this morning. That's <laughs> what it is. All right. um, we would. we right. We're always happy to mention our sponsors, Highly Athletic Gear. Uh, you can get 25% off your first order through them off of body.io. Uh, the coupon code is off on the right-hand side. On today's episode Uh, we don't have a guest this is another this is Q&A episode number two so we collected a bunch of questions off of Facebook like normal even though I hate Facebook and uh, we'll go through and we'll try to answer them to the best of our abilities although I can warn you right now some of them will not be answered because basically they just want to know what's coming out in the next CBL 2 and Carbonite 2 before the books are out and obviously I'm not gonna release too much of that information so uh, are we ready to get started, Rocky? Let's go. All right. First question,
1: carb cycling in pregnancy, not for fat loss, obviously, but for health for the baby. For someone who's been on carb night for over a year, is this a good idea? Not carb night, just maybe a carb restricted diet until the evening with a small backload every night. Would it be better not to cycle
0: carbs at all? Just stay ketogenic? Uh, this is a good question, and there's not a ton of research in this area. <clears throat> But we do have uh there is some research and uh some obviously populations that were always ketogenic high fat during pregnancy um like the Inuits, so we know it's it's safe for the child uh, we know that you'll get pretty regular development, and we have had some a few people, one recently who actually competed yesterday before this. Podcast, and uh, hopefully she'll let us put her picture up. But not only did she use carbonite through the pregnancy, uh, and this was carbonite specifically, not carb backloading. She used carbonite and did have extra carb meals during the week at night when she felt those were appropriate. But she used it all the way through her pregnancy and continued to use it after her pregnancy. And it's only been about nine months and she just got on stage and competed in a bikini competition and got third overall. So I saw the picture. She looked fabulous. Yeah, it was pretty you, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So not only did carbonite keep her healthy and her child healthy during the pregnancy, uh, it allowed her to get back into shape rapidly after the pregnancy. I mean, I was just amazed. She decided to do the show essentially because she just looks so good after the pregnancy. She's like, well, you know. I'm already back into shape and look good and my husband's doing a show, so I might as well too. Uh so it is safe, it is powerfully effective, and uh, you know, it the the child so far, you know, or it's only nine months, so we can't really say anything about its cognitive development other than it appears to be on track according to the the standard scales of vocabulary and what they should be you know, their level of function and things like that
1: i probably add that, obviously, this is not something where you'd want to be calorie restricted either, so obviously you want to be able to get enough um,
0: food in your diet to support both you and the baby, so that'd be the caveat I'd probably throw in there. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly one reason she added carbs in the evenings when she needed to, just to make sure she had appropriate caloric load. So yes, it is safe, it is effective, I've known several people who've done it, uh, we've got one equals one case study with photographs that are just phenomenal. Uh, so, you know, I don't think you have anything to worry about. You probably will have a healthier child as well as my guess. You know, we can mitigate some stress responses while they're in the womb. And then the breast milk definitely has shown higher quality on a high fat diet uh, than opposed to something more balanced. All right. Question number two. Uh the acute
1: interference hypothesis is very interesting and also very elusive. Where is a good place to learn about it and can you explain how you extrapolated its practical application?
0: Uh you know it's not actually that elusive there's tons of research in the in the journals about the inner interference acute interference hypothesis. And I wrote an entire post on athlete.io about it. And we will get the link to that uh, article on the show. But, you know, it's not that elusive. I mean, we, we've we got a lot of data showing th- that it exists, uh, that, you know, there, there are some conflicting results. Uh, but the vast majority of the information, and what we actually just reviewed a paper on this a couple weeks ago, uh, that again shows the process that or at least some of the some of the process that causes that acute interference. Uh, so it's really not that elusive. We've got a lot of information, and w- what was the other part of that question? Uh, how do you explain
1: uh, explain how you extrapolated its practical application, and maybe before you even go into that, maybe you can just give us a brief definition of what the acute interference hypothesis is.
0: oh, yeah, I. I am I was just naturally assuming, of course, everybody knew exactly what we were talking about. Uh, the acute interference hypothesis is very simple. It's, you cannot m- achieve maximum results in any training modality if you are trying to improve several or multiple modalities at once. And so what that means is, if you want strength and endurance, and you are training for both simultaneously you will neither achieve your maximum endurance possible, nor will you achieve maximum strength possible. Uh, And this also works for hypertrophy and endurance. Uh, If you want maximum hypertrophy, then you have to sacrifice your endurance and vice versa. And there's even a scant amount of evidence that if you want maximum hypertrophy, you will also not be able to achieve maximum strength at the same time. Uh, You need to balance those. So, you know, the, the practical applications there are, are pretty simple and that's to have some sort of periodization in your training. And we've got so many different periodization regimes out there. Um, You know, at the moment, we don't know which one is best. Uh, We know some that are the worst, for example, CrossFit. Uh, We just, you know, and, and things like CrossFit, you know, you're trying to achieve So many different modalities at once that it limits you across the board. Um, And yes, you'll be pretty decent at all of those things. Obviously, if you were somewhat lazy or worked in an office, you're going to be much better off after having done CrossFit for a month. Uh, But your improvements in any single direction are going to be limited. Okay. Yeah, so the, the periodization model, and I can't recommend which one is best. Uh, there's several periodization models out there, and it's really going to depend on your goal, and that's that's something to look into the research and probably figure out the best periodization models for different end goals. Uh, for example, endurance or an Ironman, or uh, bodybuilding, or you know something like that, because all different modalities are important regardless of your end goal. But you need to periodize periodize your training to optimize that one single goal at the end. I just assume the frustrating issue with that would be the individual response
1: as well. And so trying to be consistent with what you're doing and then reevaluate over whatever period of
0: time you're going to assess it over. Right. Cause we actually have non-responders. We have research. It's in- interesting. If you train, if somebody is more heavily capable of being adapted, say for endurance and you put them on the wrong training program then their results actually suffer significantly and we we've got uh, different double-blind crossover studies on that uh, where you can look at the actual uh, salivary testosterone and cortisol responses during training and determine if you are using the correct training paradigm for that individual and if you're using the wrong one they'll get really really crappy results. Uh, and so we have to keep that in mind when somebody talks about their training program and they got awesome results, that might be the absolute wrong training program for you. And you might get literally no results. Uh, so, you know, that like Rocky said, the frustration there of being able to determine what, what you would be best capable of. And then on top of it, the right training paradigm, uh, that starts to obviously get into some complexities and hopefully we'll be addressing ways to determine that here in the future. Okay. Pauline right Long,
1: you have <laughs> talked about anaerobic reserve for athletes like MMA fighters and that you could adjust diet to improve it outside of just using training methods. Any
0: chance you would like to elaborate on a little of that? Yeah, that's simple. Don't eat carbs. <laughs> I I, I, yeah, I, know. <laughs> I don't know how much easier that one could be. Uh,
1: in terms of uh in terms of donate carbs in terms of,
0: of up leading up to an event during the event i mean how would you structure that i mean uh, just so not not training with carbohydrates is going to instantly decrease your anaerobic reserve which is your target if you're looking for any type of endurance whether this is just um, aerobic endurance or strength endurance so, you know, right, right there, just making that shift. The only hard part is that most people don't comprehend the reduction in training volume that needs to accompany taking carbohydrates out of that diet. I think that's really key. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking about you should be doing around 40% of your previous training load if you're stripping carbohydrates out of your diet. Okay. That was pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah. Um, next poster is going to be involved in a study investigating incretin system, which is an intestinal hormone produced when with the intake of food or glucose. In South Asians, in comparison to Caucasians, uh, the study will improve the understanding of factors affecting glucose control and in the incretin system. Considering a lot of research for CBL and CNS comes from diabetes research, and that, for example, African American or Black people and South Asian are genetically more predisposed to getting diabetes. Uh, Is there a way to adapt the diets, taking into account genetic ethnicity? As Kiefer says, there's no right diet for everyone, but there is the right diet for the individual. Can these insulin-manipulating diets be adapted specifically, taking into consideration one's ethnic genetics? Uh, And before you even get into that, I think the answer is similar to the previous answer, don't eat
0: carbs. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That's, that's the bottom. That is the, that is the common denominator diet. Uh, but I want to address something and this, if people are saying this, that means they've learned about car backloading or they've read too much of the crappy critiques out there about car backloading. The research for car backloading is not based on diabetics. Uh, that is just what made me understand and start digging into research to understand what was going on with this glucose disposal in diabetics. So if you look at the references that I use, there's like one or two on diabetic patients and those are referenced when I talk about discovering the clue that led me to to look farther. This research, a lot of this research is done in healthy human beings and basically would apply to any mammal I mean, this is fundamental to the physiology of mammals. Th- this isn't diabetic research. Um, so to think that is not having done your homework. Uh, and the people out there doing critiques, obviously they never read the book or they read the opening chapter. And it was like, oh, well, all this is in, in diabetics and the research was done in the 80s. No, that one particular study is what tipped me off to go in this direction. Uh, so that is completely incorrect. That is an incorrect assumption to even base this question off of.
1: And if you look at the incretin system, um, by definition, the incretin system is a hormonal pathway to help uh, suppress a glucagon and increase uh, first phase insulin response after a meal. Uh, glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1 is secreted by the small intestine um, in response to a meal. And when you have diabetics what happens is they have a deficiency in this hormone. And they've done studies where actually you actually attach a pump to a patient who's diabetic and you deliver the GLP-1 continuously. It completely normalizes their blood sugar. And obviously this is a uh, aspect for pharmaceutical companies have exploited to produce
0: medications to supply that hormone to help correct diabetes. Right. So I, I'm actually kind of, Forgot what the question was in total. Like, how do you modify this for populations that are potentially more prone to diabetes? Yes. You know, the easy thing is you you start them off with carbonite and then you pretty much eliminate a lot of these issues. Uh, and you, I haven't seen a lot of studies on GLP and GIP response uh, on ketogenic diets. Uh, GLP one will increase basically just with any caloric load is is what's supposed to happen in healthy people. Um and then there's it it's actually quite complex because then there's an enzyme that degradates GLP1 within what is it, like two to three minutes. It's very quick. Yeah, the half less two and a half minutes. Yeah. So when you when you're continuously infusing GLP1 or GIP, uh, you're actually circumventing what would happen naturally in healthy individuals. Um so there's a lot of complexities there, but the simple answer to the question is, you know, start somebody off with no carbs, uh, you're going to see massive corrections and all kinds of hormones and then eating the carbohydrates at night, uh, as we've seen in other research helps to reset many of the major hormonal components that you would go through the day uh, to experience it resets those rhythms to be optimal. Um, And this kind of leads into the next
1: question. With previous recommendations for diabetic patients, members with medical conditions, and obese extending their carbonite window to roughly two weeks at a time, where is a good starting point or baseline for macros with a greater body fat percentage? For example, male weighing 275, 38% body fat, or female weighing weighing 280 pounds with 40%
0: body fat? Well, there we've... Uh, We've got a situation that the ideal macronutrient ratio is always going to be starting off probably two grams of fat to a gram of protein. That's going to make sure everybody is uh, in a good state of being able to have an environment where we can mobilize body fat. Uh, One interesting thing is the larger you are, the more excess body fat you have, uh, the greater calorie deficit that you can endure and preserve muscle mass. Uh, So there, it's almost dependent on the individual and what they're willing to do and what they can be satiated with. Uh, You know, in those scenarios, if they're doing a thousand calories a day, that might be adequate for a lot of weight loss without compromising a lot of other hormones. And part of the reason of this is when you've taken carbohydrates out of the diet, the body now has access to all of those stored energy reserves. So the overall energy balance that the body sees is the amount of food you're eating plus the amount of food you have stored. And now that it has access to all of this, we don't see a lot of complications in hormones, hormonal deviations, thyroid deviations. uh, And to begin with, usually people who are overweight already have an accelerated metabolism. Uh, It's a, it's a misnomer to think otherwise that you know, the thyroid is actually upregulated because the body's gotten so fat, the body is trying to get rid of it. Uh, and taking carbohydrates out of the diet resets all that and allows the body to start getting rid of it. And we, we actually have some very interesting studies that the larger you are uh, at the same caloric deficit as somebody who's leaner, uh, you will lose body fat faster because you have the excess weight. So, You know, you might not have to even go into that much of a calorie deficit. So, like I said, it's all individually dependent, but some calorie deficit is going to be your fastest route. I would think that also they actually may put on a little bit of muscle at the same time as well. Yes, we have seen that in studies, depending on what, and that usually happens when they, um, pardon me, that usually happens when they match calories to calories. So they try to do a calorie equivalent diet from their carbohydrate diet to a non-carbohydrate diet and keep the caloric load the same, which will instantly actually cause an energy deficit in what, in the processing of food because of, you know, a few inefficiencies with the ketone system and
1: whatnot. I would just uh, add on to, in terms of diabetic patients that, um, although that I think carb night is obviously the, um, preferred diet for these patients, um, I wouldn't necessarily go and recommend these to all your diabetic friends unless they're really followed closely by a provider just because of the medications that they could be on in, in addition with the diet could certainly induce hypoglycemia. So that's something that has to
0: be really fairly well tightly controlled. Well, that that just brings up a point. You should never, and this is something that I also don't do and one reason that I wanted to work closely with Rocky is unless you're an MD or a registered dietitian, you should not be making dietary recommendations to anybody that has a um, any kind of... is in a diseased state. So diabetes, cancer, things like that. You really should try to work closely with the provider and hopefully find one that's open-minded who will help. Um, and many times when I have helped people who are in a diseased state, I'm constantly... You know, talking to Rocky about that or it's a situation where the person has no options left and their their doctor no longer willing to help them. Um, for example, the the one individual I've talked about, uh, the mother of an employee of mine uh, who had cancer, she was in her fi- final stages. She she really had no options at that point. And then I was definitely willing to make recommendations that I maybe probably shouldn't have. I don't know. I mean, but, I mean, it saved it saved your life, so I, you know, I'm not upset about it. But at yeah. the same time, I was I was towing a line there. That's uh, you you need to be careful with.
1: And I certainly understand the frustration from a consumer or patient standpoint trying to find that provider. So I, I completely understand that. But in the same respect, um, you just have to be very very careful. So right. Um, the next two questions revolve around uh, Shockwave. Um, so the first one is, in the recent research podcast about the experiment, if a two to three hour shockwave style workout at least a day after a carb night, um, how would this program look? Would combining a week's worth of car- uh, shockwave together be sufficient for a, m- or a more strategic planning? Um, and then the other question regarding shockwave was... Uh, Kiefer suggested that one would optimize carb night by performing a shockwave workout two days after carb night in duration of two to three
0: hours. Again, how would he structure this workout? So the same question. Uh, Let's rephrase that question a little bit because I never said that you optimize carb night by having a shockwave workout two days after. That was not the point of the research review whatsoever. That was what do we want to do if we want to optimize training and we're on carb night. That is a completely different scenario than we're trying to optimize carb night. How do we do that with our training? That's, those are different things. So I never said that you optimize carb night by having a three or four hour shockwave workout two days later. Uh, So that's pretty much moot. There, okay. I
1: think that was, uh, I, and, and I think that was in the last research podcast that we talked about. Yeah, that was two shows ago. Yeah, and it had to do with the uh, glycogen storage um, after a carb night and the window
0: that it would take to get that glycogen into the system. Right, and that was tr- that was attempting to optimize whatever possibility of hypertrophy we might be able to produce on carb night. So that had nothing to do with optimizing the diet. That had to do with optimizing the potential of hypertrophy while on carb night
1: and if you are potentially going to do a two to three hour shockwave workout
0: after two days after a carb night then how would you make it look uh i, I would do exactly the like. shockwave was designed with sort of this mathematical template in mind so basically you could just smash the workouts together and uh, the more workouts you put together at the same time in that shockwave um, the fewer levels you complete. So you would throw out like the X level, um, when you're compressing them and so on and so forth. So you might only do up to level two on every one of the workouts, but you've compressed three or four workouts into that one session.
1: And I think, uh, if you have the gain fitness app, um, on, I think iPhone, you can actually do a total body shockwave workout in there.
0: I think that's an option. Correct. Yeah. They've got the condensed it, It has the algorithms that condenses the workouts down. Although uh, in that app, it's a little different because those were time constrained. So it was compressing the workout down to an hour, but getting several of them in that one hour. So that's going to be a little different than if you're just trying to do a a two hour session and lump as many of those together, but it'll give you a template. Okay. Uh, Next
1: one. Uh, for some reason, I've been geeking out on thyroid stuff. Would be interesting to hear more about the impact of carb backloading and CNS and the knobs and dials that could be tweaked for those with hypothyroidism slash Hashimoto's. Do you want to make any comments on that, Rocky? Um, I I would say there are no tweaks to be made. Uh, in my clinical experience, in terms of following patients on carb night as well as carb backloading, um, I routinely check TSH, free T3 and free T4 and I usually see no dysfunction in those numbers.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to say. I I know you've got more data to back it up. So it's um yeah, we'll just leave it at that. I mean I mean that's why you eat carbs in the programs. Right. I mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there there's the there's the knob that was uh tweaked was the fact that you eat carbs and again, um you know,
1: if you want to really look at this, I think you have to do your own testing and follow those levels and then decide if you don't feel like it's where they need to be, then you have to look back at your diet again and decide where you want to place your carbs, how often, how much, that type of thing I would say
0: right. and And you could still be if you're doing it incorrectly and experiencing a, cal- a caloric deficit on the weak level, you could still start to see some thyroid deviations, you know, I would guess. I mean, you're just calorie deprived, the body will start to become, more efficient in those situations, which means downregulating thyroid hormones. So, uh, you know, that the diet as a whole, your weekly caloric load, those, those things are the important things, period, to making the diet work. And they just so happen to correct a lot of these thyroid deviations we see. Uh, next question. BPAC has announced his
1: MI40X is going to be released soon. He has highly endorsed carb backloading as the optimal way of gains. How do you feel about his program for gaining mass?
0: I'm not familiar with his uh, MI MI40X uh yet. I did get his MI40 program and you know it it is an excellent bodybuilders routine. Uh it's very well structured. Uh the way he demonstrates the exercises is very well done. Um That's one of those things where I'm going to say the load, the absolute volume could be too much for some people. And that's usually the case in a lot of bodybuilding workouts. Uh, So it is just going to have to be something where you kind of find your own way. But in general, this, this is a program, if my goal were to achieve optimum size... I would definitely give his program a try, and then just tweak it based on what I was seeing as I moved along. You know, do I need to decrease the volume or or change things up a little bit? But yeah, excellent, excellent program in my opinion. Okay, um, this next
1: question I find very humorous, but I'm going to ask it to you anyways because I think uh, most people wouldn't really think of this. But uh, could Kiefer describe us his typical day from wake to bed, including meals and supplements? Oi, <laughs> um.
0: That you know, and obviously this means nothing to anybody else except for Kiefer, right? I mean, this is based on my day and my body and my training schedule. Uh, you know, I wake up in the morning at like five thirty to walk my dog, uh, have coffee with about an inch of heavy cream in the bottom. It might be a large coffee, it might be decaf, depending on what day it is. Um, but I usually get that heavy, heavy whipping cream in there every morning, and loaded up with a few splendas I like my coffee uh, a bit sweet a few yeah we, we'll just leave it at a <laughs> few um, and I, and I don't even actually really care what the sweetener is if Stevia's sitting there or if it's Splenda or even uh, equal whatever you know I'm gonna use them all equivalently and then after that I usually train in the mornings now post training I have uh, some some sort of protein. Powder or pre-made shake, and I mix that up with a tablespoon or a couple tablespoons of MCT oil, actually, and then Carb Shock, uh, which is the new supplement that I haven't released yet, but I do have it myself. Uh, I mix that up in there, and then I don't know, maybe an hour, two hours, whenever I get the time. After that, I'll have a couple eggs and a bunch of sausage and bacon, and then if I get hungry after that, like say three or four hours later, so that'll be about, you know, three o'clock, four o'clock. I might have like a pound of low-fat cottage cheese and a couple handfuls of macadamia nuts or almonds, whichever I happen to buy that week, or pistachios if that's what I went for. And then in the evening, um, it just depends. If I feel like I'm starting to get depleted from my workouts, I'm going to have a burger and fries and maybe a huge brownie with a massive amount of vanilla ice cream on top, uh, which actually made made Rocky a little jealous when I sent him a picture of it. Um, or, you know, I might have just some simple white fish with um, basically it's guacamole sauce, whatever, uh, for the fat and the protein and some cabbage in there. So, I mean... And I assume you're doing a lot of cooking too, right? Oh, I like never cook. the The most cooking I do... These days, and it's because of the kitchen arrangement I have, which is not ideal for cooking at all. Um, The the most cooking I do is blending that shake up after my workout. That's, That's pretty much cooking at this point in my life. You know, I didn't hear a lot of vegetables in there. Well, you know, you've got the avocado, you've got like the cabbage that comes with my fish, whatever vegetables happen to be on the hamburger, like lettuce and tomato, which I'll probably actually throw the lettuce away. Potatoes. Right, that's that's a vegetable according to the U.S. government. Um, sometimes I eat pizza that is also a vegetable according to the U.S. government. Because there's tomato sauce. That's true. Um, and then I I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean,
1: I, I think the whole point of me asking this question oh, is 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 that you can tell
0: that you know he's not overthinking things. Yeah, yeah. What? And then I forgot my supplements. I do take um an animal pack. Usually every day and then some extra D3, vitamin D3, but I don't even do that every day. If my day's a little bit off and I forget to do it, I don't worry about it. Okay. So it's, yeah, it couldn't be simpler. All right, next one.
1: I've used car backloading and its principles since the book was released. My big question is, what are the major things Kiefer has changed? Oh, I guess we're not going to really answer this question right, uh, but I'll ask it anyways. Has changed for the performance aesthetically focused regime? I know he has moved more towards health, and yes, I've tweaked and twisted the program for myself and clients with good success, but I really like a sneak peek of
0: CBL 2.0, and I'll throw in their CNS 2.0 as well. So, you know, both of those, you're not going to get much of a sneak peek other than listening to these podcasts. Uh, CBL 2 will be very intense, not only on the information side about how the body works, but also on programs for... All kinds of different sports. Athletes, team sports, strongman, powerlifters, uh, aesthetic competitors, endurance athletes. Uh, it's going to be a pretty robust manual. Uh, so there's really no sneak peeks there. Sorry, guys. And Carbonite 2, uh, essentially the same thing. You're just, you're going to have to wait. Uh, there, There's a lot more, there's a lot more information in there uh, regarding... Not only fat loss, but health across the board. So, you know, how do you fix your gut health very simply and cheaply without, you know, making yourself crazy? How do you increase mental performance very simply, very cheaply, pretty easily? How do you increase the health of your cells? How do you protect yourself against cancer? How do you lose body fat quickly? I mean, CarbNight 2 will be a, a very fundamental manual, I think, in general for for health. Uh, At the popular level, health, maybe a little bit of performance, but not much. I'm still awaiting the copy of the very first book
1: you wrote. I still haven't seen that come through my email. Yeah, you don't want to see that. (laughs) It's out of date anyway. I mean, it it really is, so. All right, next question. I'm still a bit confused regarding eating fats with carbs. Previously, Kiefer is said to keep fats low until the end of carb night or end of a backload. However, now it appears it doesn't really matter. Is that just for carb night or also CBL? In other words... Does adding fat to any of the carb night meals or carb backloading meals lower or raise the insulin response? Questionable insulin spike. Everywhere I read, it says adding fats to a meal will lower the insulin response and not create a huge spike. Isn't a huge spike what we want? Also, I've had better results keeping fats low for the day that I eat carbs, as well as keeping the fats low throughout a carb night or backload. What will happen if I all of a sudden eat fat throughout the carb night or backload having fat with each meal? And is there a threshold of fat, or should we keep it under uh, under a certain amount? What's considered
0: low-fat or high-fat for carb night and backloading? All right, we need to, like, condense these questions from now on, because that one basically simply boils down to, should I eat fats with my carb nights? Or whenever I eat carbs, is it okay to eat fats and how much? Um, Which is a much simpler question than six paragraphs worth of information. But thanks for that, Rocky. Appreciate it. I wanted to make sure you got the full scope of the question. <laughs> uh, it is true. It It turns out if you've been eating fat anywhere in the last three days, uh, whenever you eat your meal, you're going to have a fatty acid uh, response in your bloodstream. So how important that is, is hard to say, you know, eating the fat with your meals, you know, that's not going to be available until much later in the afternoon, but, or three, three or four hours later after the meal, maybe two. But again, uh, you're correct. Eating too much fat in a meal could blunt the insulin response. So it really depends on your goal of what you're trying to do. If you're trying to be more health conscious, you know, that getting the maximum insulin spike is not the most important factor. If you're looking for performance, and you're looking for possibly hypertrophy, then getting that maximum insulin response every night is somewhat key. Uh, On on carb night, and again, you know, having one or two meals with a a large insulin spike is also somewhat ideal. But, you know, the insulin index of foods varies so much. Um, You know, pizza has a good response. There's a lot of fat when you're eating a pizza. Uh, So, you know... You can overcomplexify this as much as you want, but unless you're, like, a top athlete, I don't think you're going to see huge, huge differences in including some fat in those meals or not, other than you could really be getting too many calories. I mean, if you eat a whole pizza, that's a lot of calories, and I know a lot of people who can do that. Uh, So if you want to control that, going lower fat makes food less palatable, and you will ultimately eat less. I would think that on carb night as well, that. Lost my train of thought now. Um, Derailed. So on carb night, eating fats with your carbs, insulin response. Is this is helpful.
1: Oh, you? now I got it. So I would think on carb night, uh, if you're doing the program the way it's prescribed, your insulin level is going to be rather low throughout the week. So. Even if you're going to have a modulated insulin response with your carb night, you're still getting a spike that's going to be
0: above a certain threshold no matter what you do, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're getting that insulin response period. It, you know, you've seen such improvements. And really, it it's funny because the makeup of the carb night doesn't seem to make a huge difference until, you know, at the competitor level. When I'm looking at somebody's aesthetics or trying to get them to kind of somewhat extreme levels of body fat, lower body fat. Then I start tweaking like crazy. You know, I will start to pay attention to what fat they're eating, what their carbs, uh, limit those carbs. The carbs are pretty heavily specified. Uh, So, you know, all of that stuff starts to come into play. So the question is, where are you and what kind of tweaks do you need to be made? And whatever those tweaks are, I can tell you they're going to be very individualistic. So anything I tell you may not get you to your goal. Uh, on this podcast, because it would be just too general.
1: You know, I want to throw in there also with carb night that, you know, it's very rare that I ever see a patient who tries carb night, um, who actually gains weight on the program. Um, but, you know, certainly I'll see, I'll see patients whose scale weight doesn't move and they're really, really upset. And it could be they are be having really, really high load carb nights, But, you know, the way I think you have to look at it a different way that you're able to eat all this stuff. And keep your body weight the same. So I think that's something that, you know, we lose sight of when we go on these type of programs. And certainly you can certainly over consume uh, calories and food on a carb night. And it's probably very easy to do. And we probably all have done it from time to time. But really the stress factor here is that, you know, you haven't gained weight. And that's what's really, I think, so unique about the program from a socialistic standpoint and from, uh uh, standpoint of you know spending time with family going to parties things like that
0: yeah and that's the lost sight of i mean it it really depends on your goal you know rocky's some of his patients are amazing you know that we you, they don't see weight loss immediately but all their blood parameters change rapidly uh so if your goal is just to get healthy y- your carb nights don't matter and their carbonites, they did not pay attention to their carbonites whatsoever they just ate what they wanted uh, when you get into performance goals, like I said, we're starting to move into a new regime where you need a lot more information and you need to pay a lot more attention to your body. Um, and those things will be addressed actually in carb backloading too. Um, it will be kind of an amalgamation of uh, carb backloading and carb night and how those two fit together for performance specifically and not so much for health. All right. I'm looking for the next question here. Uh, pardon me while I open my energy drink. Second one, is that is that the fourth one? That's just the second one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> ah, uh, is there, there's rough, if there's roughly a 24-hour refractory period following a carbonite in which glycogen synthesis or resynthesis occurs, might it be disadvantageous to perform HIT
0: the morning following a night as previously prescribed? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure where this 24 hour refractory period for glycogen recompensation came from. I think it's from the last research, uh, podcast we talked about. Yeah, but that's not what we ever said in that podcast. In that podcast, there's a refractory period where your body tries to protect the glycogen stores that you recompt after going a long period of time without carbohydrates. That doesn't take 24 hours. NMR studies can show recompensation within four to six to eight hours. So that 24-hour thing is kind of moot. Basically, if you're going to eat carbs at night, by the time you wake up in the morning, you've replenished intramuscular glycogen stores.
1: I think it probably had to come from my question on that podcast about how would you then optimize the workout after a carb night.
0: Right, and and that's the thing. So, you know, in that 24-hour period post, your body is trying to be protective of those glycogen stores. Uh, so that's why I said that, you know, the next day you could do hit. And doing HIT appropriately will allow you to tap into the glycogen stores that you just uh, recompt. So there's there's no downside there really. Uh, it's not it's not interfering anything. It's just helping you wipe out glycogen stores if that's what you're choosing to do. And and here's where we get into the problem of people not putting any of this into the appropriate context for the conversation. Um, I, I actually know who asked that question, and he's quite inquisitive. Um, But he just ignored the context. In that last podcast, two podcasts ago, we were specifically talking about optimizing hypertrophy on carb night. That was a very, 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 very specific situation and context. We were not talking about optimizing the diet. We were not talking about optimizing blood sugar levels post carb night. Um, In that conversation, if we're looking to optimize blood sugar levels post carb night, Hit or some type of um, sprint endurance interval training would be somewhat beneficial and ideal the next morning after carb night. And Rocky's actually seen this in his own blood work. Um, That's a good way to help control blood sugar levels post carb night. Uh, So you've got to put this in context. Uh, You know, there's no clash between those two statements. The clash is assuming that that those two statements apply to everybody all the time. Uh, And like somebody pointed out in a previous question, none of these things, none of the things in general that I say, you can't always take every statement I say and think that it applies to everybody all the time. That's just somewhat nonsensical. You really need to pay attention to the context. And that's why the new books in my mind are so important because they will help keep everybody in the correct context as they move through those works. Yeah, I I personally
1: despise despise doing hit workouts, but um I know they're kind of a tool that I have to be doing, and so when I'm on I've been on Carb Night now what, about three years, I usually really try to time my Carb Night the night before a soccer game. I play recreational soccer, so um what I've found that uh, that my blood sugars immediately corrects that day when I check it following the Carb Night, and it stays pretty low, especially after my soccer game.
0: So, right, and Rocky's ultimate goal is not hypertrophy. So he is not optimizing his training schedule or his diet schedule to work with his resistance training for maximum hypertrophy because it's just not his goal. Yeah, I, I want to get smaller. So <laughs> I
1: mean, I, I at this point in time, I've really, really scaled back what I used to do. I was doing shockwave five days a week uh, and doing probably one or two hit sessions on top of my soccer. And now I've actually gotten completely the opposite. I'm probably lifting doing resistance training, maybe 30 minutes a week, 45 minutes a week. I do maybe one hit session a week if I get into the gym and I'm playing soccer maybe once or twice a week. So I've really scaled back on things.
0: Yeah. um, So there you go. Uh, Basically that question was more a question of getting the right context when you're trying to figure this stuff out. So you've got to really listen. And I know there's so much information and there's so many different scenarios And that's one thing that makes it actually very difficult for my audience because uh, unfortunately I have settled into a zone that most people never make it into. Most people are either focused on health and they're only focused on health and very often it's a very narrow aspect of health, say gut health or brain health or cholesterol. Um, And then you have other populations that are focused only on performance and fitness And even those are normally very targeted. You have experts in aesthetics. You have experts in a strongman diet. And here I am basically providing information across the board. I mean, you give me any athlete, and if they're not already using one of my protocols, I will improve their performance just based on changing their diet. Give me anybody who's sick or is in a disease state. I can provide dietary information that will help them either lessen the severity of that disease state or just correct it. Um, so that's a very, very that has to be kept in mind. And with Rocky here, especially, uh, we're co- we're covering a broad, broad range of topics for an immense number of people. Um, so you've got to really pay attention to what are we talking about in that segment, even for that just five minutes, to make sure you have the right context, or else you can really misapply a lot of this information. Okay. I would completely con- have any comment. I, I completely concur. Okay. Man, that's the most commentary you get after I go on that little rant.
1: Uh, Yeah. I let you do the rants. I mean, that, that's what I, that's why I, <laughs> that's why I have you on the podcast. <laughs> with, that's why you have <laughs> me on the podcast. Uh, next question. Pros and cons of extreme high protein diets, such as Jamie Lewis's apex predator diet. There are many others. The APD is ultra low carb all week with chronic cal- calorie like lean in a one-day refeed, but differs from carbonate on protein with its minimum of 2 grams per pound of body weight. He wants, to be, he wants you to be in gluconeogenesis. Any comments on that? Or is there any pros or cons of doing something
0: like that? Um, I'm, there's a lot I could say about this. There's a lot going on behind the scenes um, of that diet that's not mentioned in the diet. Um, There's definitely a heavy genetic component. I know very, very, very few athletes, an incredibly few number of athletes, uh, even with hormonal assistance, that can gain massive amounts of muscle or strength, massive amounts of strength, eating an extremely high protein diet and not eating a lot of fat uh, to compensate. Uh, Somebody who comes to mind is John Anderson. I know for a fact what this guy's diet is. He literally just eats meat, beef, chicken. That's all he eats all the time. He might throw in some nuts. He's eating massive amounts of protein and he goes for leaner cuts. So this is a guy who actually does not get a lot of fat in his diet and go Google John Anderson. We'll put a picture of him in this post. The guy is a freak. He is a beast. Uh, Other people who've gone on his, his diet regime and tried that did not get the same results. Uh, what we have is the massive genetic variation there, uh, where, you know, I looking at John Anderson, I would not doubt me if he's got the mutation in both of the, my, of the genes that encode for myostatin. I mean, this guy is standing next to him. It's the ultimate superhero drawing you've ever seen in a comic book. That's John Anderson. And this is a guy who just, like, walks around, and his work capacity is far beyond any other human beings I've ever talked to. Uh, I mean, the guy's just absolute freak. You know, it doesn't matter. Strongman competitor just gets more muscular while he's doing strongman. Not a big deal, even though he trains four hours a day every day. Find me somebody else who does that. Um, as far as the a- apex predator diet, um, I'm gonna say you know it it's kind of a mismatch of some some science and basically an n equals one individual. And this is not a diet that I would ever actually recommend to anybody other than potentially it it does have some uses maybe in aesthetics uh, because being gluconeogenic, uh, especially if the raw material is protein, can have a diuretic effect, a very powerful diuretic effect and can protect against muscle loss. Um, As far as muscle gain and performance, you're not going to have very good performance on a diet like that. You know, just end of story. Very few people will. There are people who will, um, but not recognizing the massive genetic variation and things that might be going on behind the scenes, uh, which have been actually talked about on his podcast. He he has actually talked about some of those things. So if you listen, uh, there there's there's a lot more going on than the diet. So it depends. Yeah, it, it depends extremely. That is, that is a diet that's going to be appropriate for very few people who are looking for uh, increases in any type of athletic performance.
1: Okay. Uh, the next question is, I'll, I'll kind of briefly discuss it and then kind of give some generality to it. Um, you guys have talked about fat loss and performance for the average person and body type. For example, gains fat fairly easy, but generally builds muscle relatively easily. I'm tall, lanky, fairly skinny guy whose body resists basically all change. I don't build muscle easily and gain fat easily, but I also have a perpetual inch or two of fat that sits in a couple of places I can never seem to get rid of. Generally speaking, just a little bit of how to get the most out of the body in terms of aesthetics and performance with a body type that really resists change. And I'll put a caveat on that. For example, maybe taking a patient who was once really, very, very obese, has lost a significant amount of weight and is maybe doing carb night and plateauing, kind of the same type of maybe scenario.
0: Uh, the, for the, I actually, I find those to be two completely different scenarios because
1: I thought you would, but i throw it in there. Yeah. In
0: Cause you've got the lanky person who apparently it sounds like they've been resistant to change their whole life and they don't apparently respond to resistance training. It sounds like, uh, I would be curious to know what kind of training they do do, uh, what their daily schedule is like. Usually if we see somebody who's completely a non-responder across the board, who's been experimenting with multiple things. Um, there's very unlikely to be genetic limitation there. That's causing that. There's more likely to be some hormonal deviations from just bad diet for too long. And by bad diet, I could just mean like caloric deficit for way too long that can damage a lot of processes that make it very difficult, uh, for, for size, strength, fat loss, uh, everything like that. So there's just not enough information for me to say what, what's the best thing to do there? My first thing would be like, my first suggestion would be eat more calories. That'd yeah. be the first tweak I would say. I think we talked about this
1: with the AJ as well. Just um, perpetual calorie deficit that maybe be causing more harm than good. And uh, I was going to say the same thing, maybe taking a break from the diet and eating toward maintenance. Obviously not going off completely the wagon, but just eating a healthy diet that has a, a calorie maintenance aspect to it. So, and then deciding how long you're going to do that. And then going back, I would say into carb night.
0: Yeah, if you really want to see changes, uh, you could go for a 48 hour fast and then m- probably for the rest of the week after that, go extremely low carb, high fat, uh, moderate protein. And so moderate protein might be only maybe 40 to 50 grams a day of protein, uh, and then keep very low ca- and then have a carb night after that, but a very minimal one, keep very, very low carb for several, for a couple more weeks. And then totally go off the wagon and eat carbs for whatever you want for three or four days. And even at breakfast, you will see rapid body changes. Uh, first, you'll, you'll probably lean out. You'll lose some body fat. Uh, you may not feel that good. Um, and then when you have those three or four days completely off, you'll see your muscles fill up. Uh, this is your best chance to gain some muscle mass. You know, you can take radical extremes if you want. But at the base of this, it just sounds like you need to eat maintenance calories is my guess. And in the other scenario I
1: propose in terms of a patient who, let's say, is 300 pounds and loses 100 pounds and then plateaus.
0: Uh, you know, again, there's a lot of variables there. If their diet is on cue, then what I would do is just, I would start lowering their cal- caloric load or... Uh, getting them to do some resistance training so one or the other that's going to cause some sort of energy deficit um to try to get them moving again okay or you know if and if they're still stuck i'd add another carb night in the middle of the week see what happens another carb feeding
1: all right i think we're coming up to an hour here are we not uh yeah we've just got a few more minutes is there anything interesting left on the list uh i'm taking a look here give me a second there's a couple of questions on gut flora and health in terms of uh, providing uh, probiotics and digestive enzymes in combination with other supplements to improve gut health. There was another question regarding gut health and how to optimize that gut health, but I don't know if that's something you're going to talk
0: about because it's going to be in CBL too. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, the, the gut health thing, let's think about this for a minute. The bacteria that is in our guts has been around with us for the last million years. It has evolved with us and it's evolved to go through the changes that we go through as well. So if you're eating a shitty diet that could make you obese, and we've got the research for this, the bacteria in your gut becomes obesogenic and helps you to get obese. The bacteria adapts with how you're eating. So if your health is getting shitty, the bacteria actually will adjust to help you achieve those results. So if you're eating a diet that's going to make you obese, guess what the bacteria in your gut does? It adjusts to help you become obese because there's this surplus of food. It's trying to help you survive. So if you switch your diet to a diet that's making you healthy, guess what happens to your gut bacteria? And we have evidence for this. We have the research. It switches to help you become healthy and mobilize fat and give you the energy you need for, say, cerebral function or nervous system function. You don't need to focus on gut health. That's like somebody with high blood pressure going in and the doctor giving them medication for high blood pressure instead of fixing their health. It's the exact same thing. Paleo is actually we could just call it old-school medication. Um, Instead of giving medication, we're focusing on a symptom rather than trying to fix the health of the individual. You don't need to optimize gut health uh, in general. What you need to do is optimize your health and the gut will follow along naturally.
1: Yeah, I, would, I think that at least from that standpoint, I, at least from a patient perspective, I see patients getting healthier, getting off a of medication, uh, and I am not, you know, having these patients take tons of supplements to improve their quote-unquote gut health. Um, there may be a patient here, there may, I may suggest adding some resistant starch just because we're hit, 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 hit at a point where we're just not making any progress, but on the whole,
0: I, I'm not really making wholesale recommendations for, for prebiotics at all. Right. I'm not saying that there's not things you should take in certain scenarios. If you're on carb backloading, then maybe you do want to take some digestive enzymes and some uh, pro and prebiotics with that uh, just to mitigate any kind of bloating response that you might get or to get more out of the the food or to get uh, make sure that the right bacteria colonizes when you give that carbohydrate load. Uh, So there are appropriate uses, but in general, if you're tweaking for health, just get healthy. Your gut follows right along. Okay. Uh, what are we on time? Uh, we're, we're pretty much at the hour. I mean, is, there, is that it? Well, here, I'll, I'll ask a selfish
1: question since, you know, I have you in front of me. Um, so I am going to a camp next week to play soccer. It's four days or two a days. How would you structure my days prior to going to camp and while I'm performing there? So it'll be hour and a half sessions,
0: two days a week on a field. O- only two days i thought you said it was it's four, four days day, four days i'm sorry four days uh, yeah, two, but two, days. two days on those four days what times
1: uh morning session around 10 o'clock and afternoon session around two or three.
0: Oh, i would just i mean i'd go straight up carb backloading i wouldn't eat any carbs or you might not eat, need to eat anything before that first session um the second session get in like a lot of good fats uh, your protein load or whatever have the night session, and if you need it at that point, you might need to introduce some sort of carbohydrates during the workout or during that training, um, but then that night, like go to town, load it up. I love it, yeah I'll, and that, just just that. to run carb night up until I get to camp. yes, yeah, got it, and you'll be the most efficient uh actually if you're gonna if you're gonna go really extreme and kind of cut your calories and stay on carb night uh, leading up to that, then you won't have to worry about anything. Uh, with your car backloads. You could just, like, really go to town.
1: Would you suggest maybe even doing, like, a 24-hour fast three or four days before? Uh, I don't think there's any need for
0: that unless you just feel like doing it. Okay. All right. All right. right. And that's it. We're at the end of the hour. So that's another episode of Body IO FM. Uh, You'll hear us next week, I'm sure. All right. We're out. Later. Been listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to Body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.